Hi there, Leah Lem here with a quick note about the Native Lights podcast feed and what you can expect from Minnesota Native News in the next few months. We are hosting COVID-19 community conversations again on this channel, but unlike last time where we stopped doing Native Lights for a while, Cole and I have decided we're going to keep sharing those conversations as well. So on this feed, you can expect the COVID-19 community conversation and an episode of Native Lights each week for the next few months. So please enjoy. This is a special edition of Minnesota Native News, COVID-19 Community Conversations with host Leah Lem. COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by a grant from the Minnesota Department of Health. Anine, hello, I'm Leah Lem. Miigwech, and thank you for joining me for today's conversation, exploring how Indian country in Minnesota is responding and adapting to the current pandemic. Today on the show, we'll focus on strength stories. Guests today all highlight ways our communities are focusing on what can be done while acknowledging the difficult time we're in. Melissa Walls is the director of the Great Lakes Hub for the Johns Hopkins Center for American Indian Health and is an associate professor of international health at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. She's involved in Indigenous Stories of Strength, a virtual showcase showing just that, stories of strength during the COVID-19 pandemic. And Christine Dendisi McCleave is the chief executive officer for the National Native American Boarding School Healing Coalition. We'll hear how the organization adapted to the pandemic and supported boarding school survivors and descendants. And finally, we also hear from Cheryl Whitehawk. We'll revisit a conversation I had with Cheryl last summer. I think she does a great job of highlighting her own story of strength. So first up, Melissa Walls, the director of the Great Lakes Hub for the Johns Hopkins Center for American Indian Health out of Duluth. She's been on COVID-19 community conversations with me before, and this time we'll talk about a recently launched virtual story sharing initiative. Here's our conversation. Bonjour, Melissa Walls, Nandishina Cause. I'm Voice Fort and Kuching First Nation Ojibwe, and I work with the Johns Hopkins Center for American Indian Health. Great. Thanks, Melissa. So we're here to chat a bit about what you're involved in called Indigenous Stories of Strength, which was launched by the Center for American Indian Health as a way to highlight some inspiring stories from Indian country. Can you tell me about Indigenous Stories of Strength? During this pandemic, uh, we've talked about, we've heard about all of these really horrific, sad stories of loss, which are real and painful, and we acknowledge those. And there are some pretty cool stories of strength and survival and leadership happening, especially, I think, in American Indian and Alaska Native communities. So some of us um, on our team decided to launch this portal or this kind of, it's called a virtual showcase where we are inviting anyone who is a member of uh, an Indigenous community that could be urban, rural, on-res, off-res, to go to our website. So it's indigenousstrengths.com. 
by June 1st and they can submit nominations to just have a platform to share these really positive, energizing stories of how we've led through this pandemic. And um, the nominations who are selected as finalists will be notified by July 15th. And then each of those finalists will receive a $500 stipend and be uh, premiered and showcased on this website starting in the fall. Okay, so there's an online nomination form. I see there are a few questions to answer along with basic contact information. Anything else we should know about the nomination? I would think of the nomination as like a a pitch, like let us know what this is sort of about. Because what we're looking for is, is this really a story of leadership and strength? Does it relate to strength during the COVID pandemic? And um, is it really a story about Indigenous communities, right? So we just have to kind of screen for those things. And then we have this national team of experts, we call them our curation team, who will go through and rank each of the nominations. And then um, we're hoping to invite about 20 people to submit for the actual exhibit. And the curation team is made up of Native folks? Yes, our curation team is all Indigenous leaders from across America, and they will be featured on the webpage as soon as we get their pictures uploaded. Great. Sounds like you're encouraging people from all over the states to submit, all ages and mediums, audio, video, picture, text, etc. Anybody can submit. Uh, anybody can nominate. We welcome all sorts of mediums, all sorts of experience levels. Give it a shot. You know, you might get at minimum, you might get a $500 stipend and be featured on a cool, very uplifting website. We are really wide open on this. So I want people to feel encouraged. You don't have to be a professional artist. You don't have to be a professional poem writer or storyteller. You could take a picture with an iPhone and that that might be the thing. We want people from all experience levels and all... Um, you know, life circumstances who are Native or nominating Native community members to just throw your name in the hat because we want your stories to get out there. I find so much inspiration from, you know, from from all of us. And so just give it a shot. If you have an idea that uplifted you, you could also uplift others. So there are some technical abilities necessary to submit. So you will have to be able at least, you know, put something in writing or, or tell a story with an audio file, whatever it may be. But again, it could be, you know, real beginner level. It could be with your iPhone, you do all of this. It doesn't have to be some highly edited technical thing. So not too much stressing about that. We can keep it simple, perhaps ask for help from a relative. Um, what will the end product look like? So the end product will be featured on the Indigenous Strengths website, and it will be a virtual showcase. And we plan to have an unveiling event, some sort of, you know, virtual gathering where we can highlight the, the final submissions. We will promote um, those people um, and their websites, their stories across all of our platforms with the Center for American Indian Health and get the word out there. Ultimately, in addition to the... Um, the fact that you know these positive stories can influence others who visit the website, anybody can visit the website. We really want this um, portal or this uh, showcase to get uh, on the radar of the news nationally and and rewrite that narrative that uh, you know we are leaders and make sure people understand that we've done some really cool things in Native communities during this really hard year. 
Absolutely. And you've got some submissions already? We're getting quite a few submissions this week. They seem to be rolling in. So I hope more come. I hope more come from around here. Okay. Thank you very much. Miigwech, Melissa Walls. Melissa Walls is the director of the Great Lakes Hub for the Johns Hopkins Center for American Indian Health and an associate professor of international health at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. More information about Indigenous Stories of Strength and the nomination form can be found online at indigenousstrengths.com. Love for boarding school survivors and descendants is being reinforced with care packages. Christine Dindisi McCleave is the chief executive officer for the National Native American Boarding School Healing Coalition based in Minneapolis. The organization's mission is to lead in the pursuit of understanding and addressing the ongoing trauma created by the U.S. Indian boarding school policy. Here we talk about how the coalition has responded during the pandemic. Here's my conversation with Christine Dindisi McCleave. Dinaway Magani Duke, Dindisi Indishinakaz, Makinak Waju Indunjiba, Megizi Indudame. My name is Christine Dindisi McCleave, and I am Turtle Mountain Ojibwe. I'm Eagle Clan, and I'm the CEO for the National Native American Boarding School Healing Coalition, which is based here in Minneapolis. Can you tell me about the National Native American Boarding School Healing Coalition? We're a 501c3 nonprofit, and our mission is to lead in the pursuit of understanding and addressing the ongoing trauma that was a result of the U.S. Indian boarding school policy. Our programs are centered around education, advocacy, and healing. And uh, because so many people in this country don't know that this is part of our history, uh, that, you know, the, the education piece is pretty huge, raising awareness in the general public that uh, we have uh, a genocidal history uh, in this country and uh, raising awareness in our communities about how these experiences um, impacted our families and our, um, our tribal nations and our, our lives. So I've been checking out a few great things you're doing at the coalition, and I saw a big headline on your website that said, Elder Care Packages, a healing response to the COVID-19 pandemic. I'd love to hear more about that. So when the pandemic um, was in its early days, and um, it was pretty pretty intense and heavy for, for all of us, we were hearing uh, that some boarding school survivors were feeling uh, triggered because of the isolation, that it reminded them of their boarding school days when they were separated and and couldn't see their family and their community. And um, the fact that our elders were most at risk uh, just because of their age and uh, the way COVID-19 was affecting uh, elder population, but then also the racial disparities, the economic disparities and health disparities that we were seeing um, our, our tribal nations um, experiencing higher, higher rates of COVID infection and complications and, and death. So it was, a, it was really, um, you know, 
a very concerning moment in time for us um, as, you know, we care a lot about our, our elders, our boarding school survivors and descendants. And so we created this program to send them care packages. And originally it was, you know, kind of what everyone else was doing, like, okay, we need to get them some PPE, you know, we'll send them some masks and hand sanitizer, but we also want to include some gifts and some things to brighten their day. And so we curated uh, boxes from um, native artists, native enterprise, native business, native owned businesses. Uh, We tried to make them regionally and culturally, um, you know, representative. So if we were sending uh, a package to the Southwest, you know, it might've had um, chiles or, or, um, you know, um, blue corn or, you know, something. Uh, If we were sending it to the Midwest, it would have some uh, wild rice. If we were sending it to Alaska, we, I think we tried to get some salmon, but we couldn't, some dried salmon, (laughs) Um, you know, but we were trying to, to make it culturally relevant. We wanted them to open it and feel like it was, you know, from a relative or somebody. And then we decided to call it, we love you because we heard so many sad stories over the, the decades that we've been doing this about how, you know, being raised at these boarding school institutions, our, um, our relatives did not hear, I love you. They, they weren't being raised in a very nurturing environment. And then when they had children, um, they sometimes struggled to express affection to their own children. And so uh, not just survivors, but descendants will often say how their parents weren't very affectionate, didn't hug them or didn't say, I love you. And so we wanted them to hear that, that we love you. Um, And we wanted them to feel that when they opened the package. And so we actually had um, volunteers from the the Tulalip tribal community um, who helped put together the boxes and um, follow COVID protocols to keep it safe. And um, they, you know, collected and harvested uh, traditional plant medicines and put these, um, you know, little prayer bundles and handwritten notes in each and every box. And and we've heard the overwhelming response, you know, elders who send in photos or notes to thank us that um, when they opened the box, they definitely felt the love. I'm glad to hear it. So how many care packages have been sent? So we set the goal to send out 1,000 of these packages. And the criteria was that you're either a boarding school survivor or a boarding school descendant who is over the age of 60. So you qualify as an elder. And um, so far, we've sent out about 700 packages and received 900 requests. So we're almost to our goal of uh, sending out 1,000 We Love You elder care packages. Well, Chimi Gwech for keeping up the great work and doing even more during the pandemic to look out for our relatives. Were there other ways the coalition changed up operations this past year? So in 2018, we had our first annual conference in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. And that was a big moment for us to have our first national conference. And in 2019, we had our second annual conference in Tulalip, Washington. And we were planning, (laughs) we had an RFP out for the 2020 conference, and then the pandemic hit. And thankfully, our conference wasn't until the fall. So we had plenty of time to uh, pivot, uh, you know, as everyone was saying in 2020. (laughs) Um, And essentially, what we ended up doing was instead of a a full 
two or three day conference, we went virtual and we decided to make it um, a one day event since, you know, it, Zoom fatigue was setting in for people and it, you know, it's hard to sit um, at a conference uh, at your computer for, for eight hours a day. So we had a one day virtual healing summit in November and um, it was great. We had a panel of boarding school survivors. We had a panel of um, Indian activists and um, we heard from Clyde Belcourt a boarding school story from him. And uh, we had uh, our closing keynote was uh, Sandy Whitehawk. And so we had a great virtual summit. Oh, and the lunch hour entertainment was uh, Superman. So we had a great summit and we're planning to do another one this November, but we're going to expand it to two days and it'll still be virtual. So, um, you know, go on our website at boardingschoolhealing.org and sign up for e-news because we'll be sending out information soon about that, um, that virtual healing summit. And then hopefully the plan is to have our in-person conference resume in 2022. Fingers crossed. Miigwech, Christine Dindisi McCleave. Christine Dindisi McCleave is the Chief Executive Officer for the National Native American Boarding School Healing Coalition. Their work can be found online at boardingschoolhealing.org. listening to a special edition of Minnesota Native News, COVID-19 Community Conversations. COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by the Minnesota Department of Health. I'm Leah Lem. We just heard from Christine Dindisi McCleave from the National Native American Boarding School Healing Coalition, and before that, from Melissa Walls with the Great Lakes Hub for the Johns Hopkins Center for American Indian Health, talking about their recently launched Indigenous Stories of Strength. Next, Cheryl Whitehawk spends her time helping others as an addictions specialist and so much more. We spoke last June and we had a great conversation about caring for oneself in order to continue being of service to others. I'm excited to highlight our conversation again as a story of strength. Here's our conversation from June 2020. Bonjour, welcome Cheryl. Bonjour, Leah. I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much for joining me. Can you please take a moment to introduce yourself? Um, as you said, I'm an addictions counselor, but I feel some of the more important roles in my life have been, I'm, um, I have 10 children, I have 36 grandchildren, and I did special needs foster care for over 20 years. So I love children. I I feel like being a, a grandma in this year, in October, I'll be a great grandma for the first time. Oh. So it really dictates a lot of why I do the things that I do. I've been in recovery for the last 40 years, and I feel like I want to make a better place for the ones that are coming behind us. Wonderful. How are you doing, Cheryl? Well, I will say that from the time that I first found recovery for my alcohol and drug addiction, and started working on healing um, 
my unresolved traumas and griefs that I feel like that's a never ending journey. And I have a responsibility to that, especially if I'm going to turn around to help others. So the COVID-19 pandemic, George Floyd being killed by the police officer and the, and the protests and the riots, these are things that have not been easy. Mm-hmm. And it's taken, I have to use every tool in my toolbox to make sure that I'm feeling and processing in ways that are um, not going to become baggage for me. Mm-hmm. And so I go to um, two meetings a week. I, um, Although I haven't been able to go to ceremony and sweat like I normally do, I found other ways to do that, to, to get some of those needs met. Sure. And I have a, I have a big um, sober support system. I have a sponsor um, that who lives in Michigan. <laughs> so we were already doing remote support for each other. So I feel like I'm in a good place today. I just, I'm coming off of a couple days that we were allowed to take it from my workplace to go out and do what self-care looks like for us. And I went to a remote place in the state park and I spent an entire day in the river just crying and getting poisons out that it felt like I had and having some real spiritual experiences where I felt like I got filled up and inspired to come back and believe in the prophecies of many of our tribes saying this is a really important time right now and that love is the answer. That's the messages I got when I was out that day in the river. Yeah, I identify with a lot of what you're saying um, and I think a lot of people will. So thank you for sharing that. So you work at the American Indian Family Center. Yes. Can you tell me a little bit about that and the work you do there and how it's changing now with the pandemic? The program that I'm working with is brand new. It's um, The name of it is Kunshi Onakan. It takes uh, one Dakota word and one Ojibwe word um, so that both communities feel included, I think was the, the idea behind that. And so the two words translated into English mean um, grandmother's arms. It's a outpatient treatment program for Native American women, and it's culturally based. We use the Wellbride curriculum. And at the same time that we were getting our license, the pandemic happened and everything was shut down. So we had to um, adapt and yeah. figure out a way that we could provide outpatient treatment to women through um, the technology of basically Zoom to do um, group therapy and individual sessions and diagnostic sessions and all of the things that go with addiction treatment. And I have to say that it, nothing's the same as actually being together in a space and sharing medicine and singing together and praying together. But I'm surprised at how we're able to still get a lot of needs met this way. And in some ways, I think it's made it easier for some people because you don't have to worry about, you know, hurry up, get up in the morning, get your kids ready, you know, take them to childcare, um, get to treatment, whatever it might be. We don't have to worry about transportation. We provide the women with um, a phone or um, a tablet. So that 
and the and the internet service so that they can be a part when they first come if they're shy they don't have to turn on their video you know um we're learning how to sing traditional songs together and they can be on mute and nobody has to hear them and so i i I encouraged them all the time. I said, you can belt it out, ladies. This is where this is the best way to learn how to sing, you know, traditional and ceremonial songs. And the women that we're working with so far are responding really well. And they're even saying, despite the fact that we're not in the same room together, that it's feeling like a family. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a long opening circle where we're learning how to use medicines and pray in our languages and sing songs in our languages, do talking circle. They're hungry for that. I, I hear that from them, that they say things like, I wanted to know my culture, but you know, the family that I grew up in, we, all we had was the dysfunction. And so this is a safe place for them to start to learn that so that they can pass it on to their children. And I know that that's a foot in the door or um, opening up about other things. And they're also hearing from the other women in the group that pretty much everybody had a lot of the very same major life experiences. And so they don't feel like they're going to be judged and they don't feel like they don't belong. That's really wonderful. How do you find this translating then, the, the, the medicines and the talking circles, uh, to virtual meetings? The time that our religion or our, our culture, our ceremonies was outlawed, there were people who felt we can't not do this. Our people need our ceremonies. This is where we learn how to deal with life in healthy ways. And thank goodness they felt that way. And so they had to think outside the box. Because, you know, going out to a medicine lodge and having a fire and a drum and doing ceremony like was typical, they would have got caught and they would have been sent to a prison or a Native American insane asylum or cut off from their food supply or whatever. And so people instead, at least in the region where, where I'm from, started doing darkroom ceremonies where they would go into basements or attics and, and cover the windows so that if the reservation agents wouldn't see that there was a light on and that maybe something was going on. And I can't imagine that there weren't some people at the time saying, we can't do that. Our, our ceremonies are meant to be outside. But people said, we have to adapt. I say all this because there's some people who are saying now, you can't have pictures of our ceremonies. You can't do this on technology. But what I say to that is we have to adapt to the times because our people need this even more now. Jimmy Gwade Cheryl. Cheryl Whitehawk is an addiction specialist at the American Indian Family Center. Miigwech again to all those sharing today. Links to the Indigenous Stories of Strength and the National Native American Boarding School Healing Coalition are on our website, minnesotanativenews.org. That's mnnativenews.org. 
And thank you for listening today to Miigwech. As we ease up little by little during the pandemic, we can take a couple moments, look back and see all that's happened, all that's changed and how we've adjusted, taking time to mourn those we've lost, lives changed, alongside the incredible strength to protect one another as we keep moving forward. Till next time, Gigawabamin, and I wish you health. I'm Leah Lem. Minnesota Native News Special Edition COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by the Minnesota Department of Health.